Welcome to our podcast channel, brought to you by the British Chamber of Commerce in Singapore. Subscribe to our channel as we provide you with curated content and in-depth conversations by industry experts and leaders across Singapore, ASEAN and the United Kingdom. Hello and welcome to our listeners. My name is David Kelly and I'm the Executive Director of the British Chamber of Commerce here in Singapore. 2020 has been a year we certainly won't forget, but there is still good reason to celebrate great business success. Whilst the pandemic forced us to transform our annual awards gala evening into a live and interactive online event, we knew we would uncover stories of success and inspiration from our network of members and connections that everyone would be happy to celebrate. As the longest running awards initiative by an international chamber in Singapore, I am absolutely delighted to be welcomed for today's podcast by two of our winners, Chris Murray, Head of Operations, R2 Data Lab Singapore for Rolls-Royce, winners of our Technological Impact of the Year Award, and Freddie Highgate, CEO at Just After Midnight here in Asia, winners of both the Startup of the Year Award and our Customer Service Provider of the Year Award. So a very, very warm welcome to you both. Thank you. Ready, if we can just start with you. I mean, first of all, congratulations on winning two awards, our Customer Service Provider of the Year Award and our winners, the Startup of the Year Award as well. Winning two awards must have been a bit of a surprise for you, was it? Can you just tell us sort of what the recognition means to Just After Midnight? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, for Just After Midnight or Jam, as I'll refer to it, to make it a bit easier, I mean, really... For us, I think one of the biggest aspects of running a startup is is kind of validation. You know, you can win new clients, you can bring in new new revenue, and that's a measure of success. But from a broader perspective, in terms of how you position yourself to the market, it could be difficult to, I think, objectively know that you're moving in the right direction. So to get the awards from the chamber, you know, was a huge kind of pat on the back and really what we needed coming to the end of, uh, I think, of what we can all agree has been quite a difficult year. And for us, to, for our team to kind of sit around on, on Zoom and really have our name in the lights, mm. so to speak, had just been like just something that I think we'd really needed. So yeah, I'm I'm super stoked about it. Oh, brilliant! So I think I think Jam's achieved 100% growth year on year since your creation just three years ago. Can you just tell us and our listeners a little bit about what Jam does and what your journey has been like to date? Yeah, so just after midnight was really formed out of a, a kind of group of people that all worked together in Singapore. So we were kind of all working uh, at uh, some digital agencies here, and we knew that there was kind of a missing part of the picture, which was that you have businesses that build products, digital products, and then you also have companies that host them. And then you have clients who obviously, uh, you know, no kind of wanting to, to buy those applications. The missing part of that and why we're called Just After Midnight is who supports them when everyone goes home for the day. You know, who, if you're a hotel group whose revenue is always coming in online, is making sure that you can always book. And so you get into that scenario where something doesn't work, where technology fails and who's there to kind of stand up and, and say, right, this is my responsibility now. And that's, that was inherently why we started the business, because someone has to look after broken digital products and make sure that when you're like panicking and screaming because tech isn't working as it should, that someone can step in and help. And that's, that's inherently what the business started as and still is a kind of key thing that we do. So when we came to, to Singapore, it was because we had felt that, you know, on a, on a first person sort of basis that we had built digital products and we knew that clients would WhatsApp us at 11 o'clock at night and 
No, we'd be like, well, hold on, we're not 24 hours. You know, you've woken up a developer by the bedside. You know, this is this is not a permanent solution, and, and it was never profitable for a growing digital agency to deliver 24/7 support. So we started just after midnight specifically for that reason to cater the, to that gap in the market. So, in terms of going back to your question, and you know what the journey's been like for 100% growth year on year, I suppose. Mm. One of the big things I remember is when I walked into the office in Singapore, because um, it had been existing for a, you know, a few months before I'd kind of got here, it was a very surreal experience because, you know, if you join any business, you walk into an office, you're greeted by lots of other people. Hey, how are you doing? I'm whoever it is. Nice to meet you. And I remember walking to this office, which we were sharing another office with another company in Boogies, and there was just nothing. You know, there's one 1. 1.5 employees there, and it's just such a surreal feeling because you're obviously super excited to, to be part of this, this growing business, and you get there, and there's just no one there. And you suddenly, like, I think the penny drops at that point, and you realize that actually this is you. You are that that kind of business. And while you have obviously support in other markets from where the business exists, that you are responsible for the success, but also the failure. So that was, I think, the first thing I remember. And then kind of just how exciting it was to go out there and, and start winning business, but also delivering to clients and going into a room where you knew that the proposition that really the business had been started for was what they were buying. It's a it's a real kind of up and down, you know, peaks and troughs in terms of oh, um, is this right? Are they going to buy this? Are contracts going to get signed? But ultimately, it's no 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 two days are ever the same. And I do find myself always talking about kind of I have these days where I walk in and everything's going well and we're winning lots of business, but then I'm terrified because our marketing's not doing what it's meant to do. And then I've got a client who expects something that you know is 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 a little bit unreasonable. And so it's it, it's it's I suppose it's the world of a startup, it's the world of a growing business. But at the end of the day, when you get to sit back and look at everything that you've achieved since those, um, you know, since the two, three years ago, it's it's very um, fulfilling. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. Good to hear you actually sort of share me so honest as well about some of those growing pains. I mean, I think we think we've, a lot of us, a lot of a lot of our listeners have been through that. So it's been a really interesting year, hasn't it, with COVID? And sort of given that there is a bit of a sort of a tech theme on on this call today, has COVID sort of accelerated some of the opportunities for Jam in terms of businesses really having to look at their sort of IT infrastructure and and how they are operating in a digital world? And and has has that had an impact on the organisation? Yeah, I think it has had an impact. It was, it's weird. It's kind of had a delayed impact because we have obviously the three markets that we're in, but Singapore, especially what we found just as we were starting to get our momentum into, um, you know, the, the second year of business, we found that suddenly COVID happened. It was a lockdown. And stopped was the new business side of things in terms of business development people coming to us and saying well you know we're looking for someone who can help with our infra or we can help with our with our application and, and make sure that it's always online and we expected well hold on covid's happening no one's in the office does that mean that they're going to be coming to people like ourselves and we found that it just meant that opex and capex was just frozen from businesses what it then did was it created i think an opportunity at the end of it which was that people realized that what happens in those scenarios, you know, if no one's in the office, if, you know, unfortunately resources have shrink because they need to um, reduce operating expenditure, you know, who is going to be helping out a, you know, an enterprise business or who is going to be making sure that your websites are on, your applications are working. So coming out of it, especially in the last few months, we've just seen this explosion of companies who have come to us and said, 
what we've realized is that we need to have a handle on operating expenditure, that we need to have you know, security management principles or, or system reliability and engineering principles in place because who knows if this, this is going to be the first time or the last time. And that's, that's kind of what we've seen as part of this sort of COVID journey is that there was a moment where I just remember thinking to myself, wow, is this going to be, is this going to be a point where we're going to have to slow down and, and potentially is, it, is this not going to work out? And then coming to the end of it, it just changed when when everyone got comfortable with doing business again people came back and they and they said right it's made us realize the holes that we have in our system uh, site reliability engineering or or in our infrastructure or in our in our delivering um applications online so positive at the end oh good good i'm pleased to hear that you've got offices globally i think but why was singapore such an attractive location for you three years ago yeah so i mean first and foremost i mean we we knew the market we knew people here we knew the business culture and you know um, even though obviously jan's been a member of uh, the british chamber of commerce i've been a member of the british chamber of commerce for i think probably about five years now through different businesses so that was and i think you know coming coming back to singapore the first things i did was join britcham again because i knew people there and and obviously the community that it had and that's what makes it attractive first and foremost is that you can walk into a market and know that you've got a a black book of email sort of thing. In terms of obviously doing business in Singapore, I saw it described the other day, which was actually a really great explanation that Singapore is named as the Switzerland of Asia, which I thought was quite good. And I think when you look at Singapore, we have about 59% of um, Asian regional headquarters of multinational tech companies, according to EDB. We look at companies like Alibaba and Tencent, you know, moving over here. It's a safe haven for businesses like ours and other larger businesses in Asia and means that really, you know, you can do business in more of a Western style way, if that makes sense, to have some of the protections, have the government looking after you. You know, obviously the tax rate, of course, is is attractive, but it, it ultimately means that you have, I suppose, a lot of the 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 things that you'd be unsure of working in other markets in the area kind of kind of ticked off. So that's why we've we came back here. Brilliant. And and is that sort of access to ASEAN something that you're sort of working quite closely on as well in terms of that sort of the geographic opportunity around sort of Southeast Asia more broadly? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, before lockdown, we were we were in Indonesia, we were in Thailand, uh, we, were, we were about to go to Hong Kong because, again, we had contacts there. We were already doing um, business with a few companies in those markets. So I think absolutely. And you can't really talk about Singapore without talking about a springboard to other you know, the other developing markets around it. So 100% for anyone who, who wants to do business across Asia, I mean, you have to really be in Singapore as at least a starting point. No, really, really good. So again, you know, really congratulations for winning two of our awards. So in terms of sort of the startup of the year award, what, what's next for you as a startup? What's sort of coming up in sort of the short, medium, long term for, for the business? Because you must be on a really sort of exciting mm. trajectory. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I suppose next year we probably won't be able to call ourselves a startup anymore um so you know at that point you'll be a fully fledged business i mean for us in terms of the short the short um short objectives i mean it's just focusing on the road ahead of us a little bit and making sure that we can continue to drive that growth that i've been talking about and and get out there and start meeting people again and 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 kind of making sure that our marketing is up to scratch and of course hiring is is you know something that every business is every growing business struggles with it's generally not new business that stops a business expanding 
its resource and being able to hire mm. in the region. So that's a focus for us right up front is getting some amazing people as part of the Jam family. On the medium objectives, it's it's going to be certainly looking at developing more of our DevOps toolkits, which um, so a large part of our business is is basically um, having tool sets that sit within sort of our larger client bases. So hubs of instant management, hubs of how to deploy correctly, making sure that at a time of crisis that all the individual stakeholders are part of large organizations can understand what's happening to the business at what time. So really developing those toolkits and making sure that they're part of, you know, we were able to take them to market and actually test them out with our larger clients is is certainly um, in the pipeline. And then of course, the long-term objective is just expansion in general, really opening up an office in uh, America because there's a great desire for our services over there, looking at other markets, like, as I said, Thailand, Indonesia, putting people on the ground there, kind of local individuals who speak the language and understand the culture and kind of replicate what I've done in Singapore a little bit. Um, and yeah, just just really kind of making sure that we're driving the business forward. Oh, really, really exciting, Freddie. And I think even more sort of commendable that, you know, as a, as a small business, you also won the Customer Service Provider of the Year Award. So balancing all the growing pains of an organization, but actually sort of being able to deliver brilliant service to your to your clients is is a great story. So how, how have you been able to sort of build that in there and sort of differentiate yourselves for, for your customer base? Yeah, I think... Um... Well, there's, I suppose, two elements to it for us. I mean, the idea is is that one of the big things that I suppose Jam does differently, um, or, or certainly when we start the business, is that traditionally tech companies have always focused on upfront. And if we look at companies of, you know, five years ago, you'd be selling licenses to whatever servers or whatever product or whatever software was going into organizations. And you would sell a massive half a million dollar license. And and that was the kind of way that those businesses operated. And of course, there's lots of salespeople in the region that get paid far too much money to do that. Um, But the idea is, is that the world has changed and we proactively need to think about repetitive business or annual recurring revenue, because that is the foundations of Just After Midnight. You know, the idea that we don't want big resource intensive projects at the beginning. What we want is long-term relationships with our customers you know, that means that they rely on us to look after them in their in their hour of need. So that's why customer service is so important. Anyone who ever has worked at a business who's had a website go down or had an application go down just knows how infuriating and frustrating that is, you know, that you can't make technology work. And so from our perspective, for our customers, knowing that there's someone at the end of the phone who can kind of help them out, who can communicate with them every step of the way and, you know, give them report follow-ups and, and just kind of keep them happy or not as happy as one could be in our hour of need is, is so intrinsically tied to customer service. And so from our perspective, you know, we have to have the mark on customer service. If someone has a problem, they phone us up and we treat them like crap, then, you know, we lose that we lose that business, we lose that contract. And so it really is super important for us to make sure that we're on top of things like customer satisfaction scores and making sure that really they feel that their hand is held when when they're kind of, you know, on their Christmas holidays or whenever it would be. Just, just a, sort of a final question before we move to Chris, but I mean, do you, do you measure your customer sort of satisfaction? And have you, have you got any advice for businesses and certainly small businesses that are going through sort of similar journeys, maybe in different industries where they can make a really positive impact on their customer base? Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of ongoing measurement, I mean, you obviously have your standard measurement factors like net promoter score. And and of course, we run net promoter score with with our partners as well. 
as well as our clients. And that's obviously been hugely, hugely important to us. I think one of the one of the key elements in terms of measuring is you have to have an eye on the channels in which people reach out to you. So for us, every phone call is recorded. And it's, you know, you always hear that at the beginning of a beginning of like a customer service. When you're renewing your insurance, you hear is this phone call this phone call may recorded for customer satisfaction. And I wonder how many of those phone calls actually get listened to. And I think that's been hugely important for us. So as our business, we're made up of instant management. So the first person you speak to when stuff is going wrong. And then on top of that, we have obviously our operations people that sit and listen to those phone calls and understand have we been speaking to our customers, our potential clients, our partners the right way, and then being able to say, like, where do we place them? And so we have this internal scoring system as well that allows us to gauge how angry someone is at any one time beyond just a net promoter score because a net promoter score is from the perspective of the client but you've all heard an angry conversation before and you would say wow that person is pretty pissed and it's really important from us from our perspective to sit and go right actually what's happening here is there something that we're not seeing just because they say they're happy at some time three months ago does that actually mean that when our their contract comes to renewal or when you know something's going wrong that we actually know how they feel at that moment and i think that's probably one of the biggest things that jam does is 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 we sit down and we say like how does this how does this person come across to us at that point of time and then Looking at, obviously, ongoing communications, transparency being super key. We have shared Slack channels with our customers so that they can chat to us at any time or we have dedicated phone numbers. So when you phone us up, it, we know which customer is coming through. Just putting basic things in place has really allowed us to kind of push customer service to the top of our priorities. Oh, Freddie, really, really good sharing. Thank you so much. And once again, congratulations on the Startup of the Year Award and the Customer Service Provider of the Year Award. I think that's I think it's a really, really impressive journey and it's been a pleasure to sort of get, get that overview. Chris, great to have you with us as well. Head of Operations at R2 Data Labs for Rolls-Royce. Congratulations on being announced the winners of our Technological Impact of the Year Awards. There's definitely a technology theme on this conversation. So Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. It's my pleasure. Really, really, really pleased to have you with us. So Rolls-Royce here are focused on three sectors, I think, sort of civil aerospace, defense and power systems, three enormous industries which have a huge impact on the world. In the nomination video, we heard how technology will enable the transition to a low carbon global economy. Can you just tell us a little bit more about the work that Rolls-Royce are doing to transform in this way? Uh, Yeah, sure. So Rolls-Royce is doing, I suppose, two things. It's got quite a focus on its culture as a business, uh, the culture of the, the industry that it's in. Uh, and how it can do things to aid uh, greater uh, innovation and, and more effective working together overall. And that, it hopes, is going to enable us to be able to change things faster and achieve more value for the customer uh, in the end. The second biggest thing Rolls-Royce is doing is it's working on new technology that's going to enable far more efficient power delivery to the use of its, uh, its products and services for its customers. We focus a little bit on civil aerospace. One of the major technologies it's been pushing very hard on is the use of electrical technology to be able to power flight. And you know, it's working on some, some quite impressive projects at the moment to build the fastest all-electric aircraft for zero emissions flight. And so it's quite an impressive feat to aim for and achieve. And we think we've been developing very good technology in electrical power storage and distribution. Uh, and we think we've got a very good chance of being able to achieve that and be you know, the world's fastest electrically powered aircraft. So I think that would be fantastic. Wow. 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 That sounds really, really exciting. 
I believe, Sid, have you been on a bit of a journey to embed the digital mindset within the organisation as well? I mean, it must be, you know, with a, with a, with a large organisation like Rolls-Royce. Can you just talk about how you sort of manage sort of your internal digital culture to, to help bring your, bring your people with you? Yeah, sure. Uh, we've been pushing quite hard on uh, the establishment and rollout of something we call our Digital Academy. Uh, this is all about being able to help people prepare for the future and prepare for digital. Uh, there are a lot of different deep skills, deep knowledge across the company, and it's a very process-oriented and compliant company. Mm-hmm. And, and a large part of understanding uh, and being able to adapt to digital thinking is being able to take yourself outside of the norm, uh, think about what the customer would prefer, and then understand how you might do things differently to be able to get there. And so whether that's to do with just thinking different, being able to understand how to you know, manifest that in strategy, or actually bring that down into the management of, of digital operation or digital skills. We've got a, a very large array of, of digital training that we've been able to make available to our population in the company. And, and the company's responded really well to that, uh, particularly in Asia. There's been a very large uptake of engagement with that program. And we we're able to bring through uh, a lot of high technology companies and contributions from Microsoft, EH, uh, from IBM, Google, LinkedIn, et cetera, are all part of providing the content that helps us you know, bring the best out to our employees. Fabulous. I think you've widened some of those courses available to the public as well, which I think is a brilliant initiative. What sort of things can you learn through your digital academy? What, what are some of the main topics that people can keep their professional development topped up? Well, I mean, maybe starting at the bottom, there's a wide array of different technical courses, starting with very simple introductions to, you know, just working with data, understanding how to analyze data, how to visualize data. You can get into more advanced parts of that, really getting into AI and machine learning, uh, learning about programming languages such as Python, R, etc. But then above that, uh, you've got courses that would teach management, you know, how you would look to drive change. Uh, within the organization differently, how to think about organizing and, and driving a different change management culture, and or just generally being able to help people take a step back and put themselves in a different pair of shoes and think about how you might be able to deliver a part of the organization in a very different way. So different, you know, it wouldn't seem possible tomorrow, but but to be able to create that ability to develop a vision and then work together to you know understand incrementally what it's going to take to achieve it. That's really exciting. I'm going to ask you a really silly question, Chris. I'm really sorry in advance, but it sounds like you're in a really exciting space. You've got lots of R&D happening. You've got lots of platforms that are helping to sort of get professionals across, certainly in the aerospace industry, to put in their ideas into sort of technical developments that are going to help the industry at large. But being sort of early adopters and sort of helping to try and get that technology into industry, is that challenging? And are sectors like the aerospace industry always at the forefront of tech where lots of the R&D and the ideas that are coming out of employees are sort of easy to implement or are there there some specific steps that you've sort of got to go through? It's a funny place actually. I think the aerospace industry, definitely there's a lot of investment that goes into R&D and innovation. You see quite a lot of that happening all over the place. I think the challenge that we've got within the industry is really uh, breaking down the barriers to being able to scale that innovation and bring it out to to more people. The industry, um, whilst it's a high technology focused industry, also has quite a lot of safety orientation, quite a lot of regulation. And in order to be able to deliver safe flights and safe operations, you know, it's important that people, you know, orient themselves and focus on sticking to the rules around that. That can make it quite difficult because generally the same thing will look a little bit different every time you go to a new uh, new environment that you want to apply the product to. 
Um, and in the end, that's the thing that really hurts the ability to take things uh, and, and make them generally applicable. Given that, it, it can be an industry that, that makes it very hard for a lot of smaller players to come in and, and find their market, you know, and be able to actually just access different customers and understand what's important, be able to become recognized as, a, you know, as an opportunity for, for sale. And the market's perhaps dominated or has been dominated a lot by a lot of the larger companies that are in the manufacturing space or in the maintenance and, and operations space. And so the digital companies coming through, we've been working on a, if you like, an ecosystem business that would help provide a lot more equality and uh, basically give a lot more control and choice back to the end consumer and, and provide, as a result, a lot more opportunity and equality to all of the digital innovators that would be in this space. That sounds really exciting. Can we sort of go into a bit more detail on how, how that works and how you bring those stakeholders in? Sure. We've created a, an ecosystem uh, and a community called Yakova. Uh, and this is a, basically an internet place where we've got over 100 airlines engaged already and uh, over 65 uh, digital vendors, uh, ranging from safety management to efficiency management to engineering, lots of different types of digital applications that the airlines can benefit from. And what that space allows, allows you to do is, is really as a bunch of subject master experts or digital vendors, you can enter into a number of different discussion groups uh, and you know, provoke questions, provide seminars, and, and find it basically very quick and easy to be able to get good, rich conversations through a combination of, of customers. Uh, and not just, not just the airlines, those subject matter experts within the airlines that are interested and engaged in that technology in the market. And you can find it much quicker uh, to be able to get the feedback that you need to realize what it is you need to do to adapt to become more relevant and, and easier to then get on and do business. Oh, really fabulous. And what, what a great platform to be able to understand some of the challenges that the businesses that you're working with are having as well by having that open communication, I think, is, is, is great in terms of the technological platform that you put in there, but also in terms of the service delivery that you provide to your customers as well. That's, that sounds really brilliant. So, Chris, if we can turn to the low carbon future, you mentioned around sort of the, the electric aerospace piece that we were talking about at the beginning of our conversation here. And Rolls-Royce obviously committed to a pathway that gets the whole of the organization to net zero by 2050, I believe, which is a, which is a fabulous, fabulous target. How does technology help support that transition to a low carbon economy broad, more broadly for Rolls-Royce? I think it's incredibly important. I mean, the technology is the... The, the pivot that the company's focused on to allow it to be able to make the changes it needs, whether yeah. that's to do with digital enabling change fundamentally, just in the agility of the company and how it can find it easier to work together with others, or actually in its focus primarily, I think, on the electrical technology and the different mm -hmm. ways it find its application to be able to uh, start to move things forward from you know, combustion in various different theatres. So, yeah, it's, it's absolutely central, I think, to the way the company is looking to take this step. Are there sort of specific technologies that you look at more broadly? Is battery storage really sort of the, the big topic at the moment in terms of providing a power unit for propulsion of vehicles in the future? Yeah, I think particularly when you're talking about aeroplanes and, you know, air vehicles, having an efficient way to store power, reducing the weight of the aircraft and increasing the ability to deliver the power you need through more effective, more efficient battery technology, that, that is quite an important foundation. Then being able to distribute that power where it's required across the aircraft and uh, control the power delivery in the different ways it gets consumed. I think that's, that's the next hardest challenge. 
Oh, brilliant. We've heard that you're working on some really, really interesting projects. So what's coming up for you, Chris? What's sort of in the pipeline in terms of tech that you're exploring, sort of key sectors that you're looking to apply those into and, and, and the overall benefits? Well, for me, I work a lot more in the digital side of the business. Uh, we're leading on some collaborations with customers uh, nearby that we're working on uh, new ways in which we can help airlines improve the efficiency of their operation. Uh, and so uh, finding new and more innovative and safer ways in which we can help airlines reduce the consumption of aviation fuel and by doing so, more so reduce the, the emissions of uh, harmful gases uh, like carbon dioxide, sulfur, nitrogen and so on. Another area that's, uh, that's up and coming for Rolls-Royce in new technology, particularly associated, I think, also with being able to obtain more sustainable power delivery is the introduction of a concept called microgrids. Uh, this is about, at the country level, being able to maintain and deliver power where it's required, uh, but by doing so in a more modular way. Uh, and so if you end up having difficulties in different areas or finding that you need to detach um, the delivery of power for a certain small part of the grid, then the grid itself is able to autonomously manage consistency of power delivery where it's required and be able to adapt to the, the changes that are required without a, you know, a great deal of recalculation and headache. That sounds absolutely amazing. Been a challenging year for a lot of businesses. Um, obviously, the airline industry has been hit incredibly hard. Has that provided an opportunity for Rolls-Royce to sort of really sort of almost do a deep dive into more R&D and use this time in a way to try and sort of fix other problems and, and sort of try and create some capacity in terms of application of staff time and thinking into, into new solutions in the future? Yeah, I think it would be no surprise that 2020 has put a huge amount of pressure on the aviation industry as a whole. Um, Rolls-Royce's customers obviously have been hit directly very hard. And Rolls-Royce, with a large part of its organization being around international travel, uh, really being a, a large engine and, and wide body aircraft power provider, has, has also been hit fairly hard. Realizing that this was coming, yes, um, it did It did make quite a significant change in terms of its uh, strategic focus for the year. And one one major program that it's been quite quite proud of being able to be a part of delivering is something it calls the Emergent Alliance. So part of the organization I'm a part of, R-Squared Data Labs, which is all about the sort of strategic innovation and, and digital culture drive that we've got for the company, uh, really saw COVID-19 not only as a, um, a challenge, but also as an opportunity and decided to try and pull together a wide range of companies and data sets to be able to start to try and really understand you know, what are the factors around the pandemic, how it's having an impact on different economies around the world. And you know, for Rolls-Royce, it really wanted to be able to get a much broader perspective and a wealth of uh, knowledge to be able to sit and, and be able to forecast um, what it looks, you know, things could happen in terms of potential recovery or potential outlook for the next uh, year or, or five years on. Um, and so it did manage to create uh, quite a broad alliance with more than 38 member companies uh, and quite a rich data. And it's been looking at that throughout the whole year and sharing its, its view with its participant companies to help it, you know, plan ahead and, and think about what's the best way to, to shape up for 2021 and, and what to expect on from there. The Emergent Alliance, that will, that will carry on going sort of post-COVID as well because you've created that, that ecosystem, I presume. Yes, I imagine. I mean, I don't think the pandemic's really going to um, fix itself 
completely next year. I think uh, we all have an optimistic view. I think everybody would naturally hope that the vaccines are going to come in. Widespread testing and protocols around that will start to become more commonplace. And we hope that that starts to influence a lot of the, the management, if you like, of, of movement of people within and, and between countries. And, and we hope that we see a good uptake, particularly in business travel, of you know, more people moving around and, and for that to, to help the company. But I think you know it's going to leave a lasting impression. The new normal is going to stay with us. And um, I think the, you know, the new things that we've found out as a result of working together and, and just generally um, what we've realized in you know, a broader data set and a lot of collaboration, you know, the things that we can do to be able to sit and understand how economies could change based on external pressures uh, is quite a valuable resource now that we've looked to try and capitalize in uh, new dimensions, I expect, uh, as we come through COVID uh, next year. Chris, that's brilliant. And it's been really, really good to talk to you around some of this, the technological impact pieces around building a community and finding solutions to problems and that training element, both internally and externally as well. It's been, it's been absolutely fascinating. So, so thanks so much. Once again, huge congratulations for being announced the winners of our Technological Impact of the Year Award. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been a very hard year for Rolls-Royce. And as you can see, we're working in a lot of different things. And yeah. uh, you know, it really consumes a lot of your attention. And, you know, it's these things, a lot of the success is about culture change and about things perhaps every day you don't always see because you're always moving things just a little bit more. So I've been able to become recognized and win this award really just starts to help us take a stock, you know, look back and, and realize how far things have come. And uh, uh, on behalf of Rolls-Royce uh, and for the small part of it I've been a part of, very proud to, to be able to receive this award. Thank you very much, Richard. Oh, that's, that's amazing, Chris. Freddie, if we can just quickly bring you into the conversation. Just two quick questions, and I've got a third one for you. So what did it feel like to win the award, Freddie, or your awards, I must say, because you won two of them? And and why should people enter the annual business awards next year? So, I mean, how did it feel to win the award? As I say, it's it's an amazing sort of feeling because ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not been, a, it's not been an easy year for any business. To, to get that recognition from an organization that certainly I've been a part of for five years and, and I sit on obviously the um, Marketing and Communications Committee. You know, it's, it's just a, that pat on the back you need from, from obviously a lot of your peers, people that were sitting there judging your application and obviously those that are part of the chamber that, that have seen your entry and really understand the business and, and what your business does. So from that perspective, there's nothing better to win an award and, and take a moment to celebrate and then jump on Slack or WhatsApp with your team and your the colleagues and just take a moment to say, we did it. From that perspective, that's amazing. In terms of obviously the businesses that are looking to enter the awards going forward, I would say absolutely get involved. You're getting judged by some of the biggest and best businesses in, in Singapore from people that essentially can can understand you know, how it is to, to run a business in the market. When you win the award, obviously, it's a, it's a great point of recognition. There isn't anyone who I've spoken to in Singapore that, that obviously hasn't heard of the British Chamber of Commerce. In fact, I think one of the sponsors is one of our clients, which is Cycling Carriage. So for, for that kind of news to be shared far and wide, and of course, to appear on, on this podcast and, and um, any of the other publications that it's got us access to is, is a huge pat on the back and some amazing publicity. So yeah, I can't recommend it enough. And last question, if we could offer you the British Chamber of Commerce Singapore's magic lamp and you have the opportunity to give that magic lamp a rub and you could have one wish to change something that you're passionate about, what would you change and why? Hands down, I know what my answer to this is. 
I really, I, I think from our perspective as a, as a business, one of the hardest things that just after midnight and any business that I worked out in Singapore struggles with is being able to attract good people. So for me, if I could kind of uh, wave that magic wand and, and, and obviously make some changes, some lasting changes, it would be able to really drive people towards technology businesses like ourselves. There's a big, I think, want and desire to work for large finance fintech sort of organizations that that maybe ends up kind of ruining their aspirations a little bit because of how hard those businesses can work but ultimately what we would say is is you know small startup businesses when you're part of a growing team that is successful and you can all win together and you can really become a very very close knit family which is what I am with all of my team members and 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 you know we really when we win together we really win together you know there's nothing quite like it so to make i think for prospective people who are looking for you know opportunities right now in in the cloud sector and the tech sector or the app sector you know look at businesses like ours it's not all the the biggest investors it's the it's the small independents and you could really be a part of something special Oh, brilliant. Thanks, Trey. That, that's really good. Really good to hear. I think a great wish too. Chris, just coming back to you, what did it feel like to win the award for Rolls-Royce and, and why should people enter next year? It was a fantastic surprise. There's a lot of hard work going on in the company and not just within the company, but you know, in its attempts to try and bring people together in its industry, both in terms of getting to market and understanding how to evolve you know, as, uh, as a certain set of industry capabilities. It's a lot of work and every day it's hard to see you know, how much you're achieving and really just having the opportunity to kind of step back and look upon this and, and realize how much good you know, we're doing, not just within the company, but within the industry as a whole is, is fantastic. You know, even just the conversation now, you know, having the opportunity to reflect upon the Emergent Alliance and not yeah. just its ability to sit and pivot Rolls-Royce and, and other companies around understanding the impact of the, the pandemic, but potentially having something now that we could um, look to use in other investment circles in the future as well. I think that's quite exciting. So just really quite proud to, to be able to take a step back. Why would I recommend others to enter? Well, I think what the British Chamber of Commerce is able to achieve really well is it really shines a light, I think, on what's what's really quite great about Singapore. You know, we talked about it being the Switzerland of Asia. You know, for me, it, it is a safe place for us to innovate. It's a safe place for us to look at how we might do things differently, find new organizations and new ways of working together. And, you know, by entering into this, uh, you start to become... Uh, able to access more of Singapore and understand a little bit more about how to you know, go about doing business differently. And, you know, whilst you might think that, you know, what you're doing small, you might not realize, you know, how connected it could become or, uh, or how important it might be to others as well. So definitely get out there and, and have a go and, and see who you can meet and, you know, what you can develop. Brilliant. And just, just finally, Chris, um, if we could offer you the British Chamber of Commerce magic lamp and you've got one oh. wish uh, that you could change something overnight, what would, what would that thing be and why? I feel a little guilty for saying this just because the space I've been representing today is just so broad and impressive. Um, yeah. But I am going to pick up on something uh, a little bit more focused around aviation uh, and around efficient flight. You know, being out here, I've been here for more than five years now, primarily looking at data innovation, developing building teams and, you know, doing what we can to make changes happen. Uh, it surprised me how capable uh, the airlines are, uh, as well as the countries, uh, in being able to harness this kind of technology. Um, there's a lot of knowledge, a lot of know-how, and a lot of potential sat within the organizations that are understanding flight. What I see as a great opportunity is, is around the airports and the airspace. And what I think we need to realize is how fast and how 
how much diversity is going to come in terms of the growth of air travel. I know we're going through a, an incredibly challenging time right now, but uh, with the growth of the economies around ASEAN in particular, and then in the wider Asia region with India and China as well, we're going to see an absolutely colossal change in, in the volume and the diversity of air travel. There's some great examples in Europe and, and in America in terms of how you're able to align and integrate you know, Euro control and air traffic control. Uh, and all the airports that we've got around the major countries in Malaysia, in Thailand, Philippines, Indonesia, Singapore, they're all very heavily interrelated. As soon as there's some challenges in one airspace, you know, it has a very direct knock-on effect everywhere. So, you know, Singapore and, and ASEAN made some changes, I think, in, in the last five, 10 years to really do some some better integration of, of the countries and start to work together. For me, if I was to you know, highlight um, an opportunity, it would be for us to try and take that spirit and concentrate a little bit more on what could become a more effectively managed network of, of airport capacity for our region here in ASEAN. And, and I think the increased level of resilience and the increased efficiency that could be created would make massive improvements to the sustainability of the region in all dimensions. And uh, you know, looking at the opportunities for improvement there, there it extremely high uh, in terms of the amount of emissions we can reduce and the amount of fuel we can save and uh, as well as all the rest of the you know the passenger satisfaction in terms of reliability of onward travel and things like that as well so for me uh, that would be a great thing to to have the region focus on and uh, i'd be really pleased to be a part of you know doing some work within that space as well Fabulous. Chris, Freddie, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for your magic lamp wishes as well. I think that enhancement of talent and the application of tech for the benefit of good, I think, is, is really complimenting. So once again, congratulations to you both for your awards at the Annual Business Awards. And thank you so much for your time today, sharing some of the projects that you've got going on um, and, and the work that you're doing in this space. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can share our podcasts and tag us in with the hashtag BritJamSG on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. For more information on the British Chamber of Commerce in Singapore, please visit www.britjam.org.sg or should you wish to get involved with our podcasts, please feel free to contact us at info at